little heads up, gentlemen and children, next week is Mother's Day. So, little alert, little alert. Stephen Roach was here a couple of months ago, and he mentioned um, he mentioned a verse in the Gospel of Luke. One thing I've been thinking about, and it's not what I'm going to speak on. It's just I've been thinking about it, and I wanted to mention it. In Second Corinthians. Chapter 6, Paul, um, the apostle, lists um, what I call uh, apostolic attributes. And it's about um, seven or eight verses. I'm not going to read all of these, but... He says this, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. So Paul is describing his life. And then he says in verse 6, by purity. Now these are apostolic virtues. Those first were sort of... um, apostolic experiences. But then he says, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, say with me, by kindness, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, and then he lists maybe three other verses full of, of great attributes. And so I was, I don't know how many of you are f- familiar with sort of apostolic Christianity. Basically, it's talking about um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers actually all still exist today, and it's their job to help build and develop the church along with every member of the body fully functioning. So it's an interesting concept, but it's it's legit, and it's... um. It was the strength of the New Testament church. So I've been thinking about some of these things. But really what I've been thinking about this morning was that phrase Paul wrote, um, by kindness. And um, kindness is an apostolic virtue. I think a lot of times when we think about um, sort of high-powered spiritual people, we don't think of them as kind people. Would you... Agree, yay, nay, maybe. But really, Paul, you know, when you look at those, the attributes of his life, that's pretty remarkable, he says, in kindness. So we need to be kind to the mothers, at least for the next seven days, all the way through into the official close of Mother's Day. <laughs> next, No, 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 just I'm playing a little bit. But um, I was thinking also about uh, something Stephen Roach said I alluded to a minute ago. Um, The angel of the Lord shows up to Zacharias and he tells Zacharias, um, you're going to have a child. And Zacharias disagrees. And it's, it's, you should never disagree with an angel who dwells in the presence of God. It's not, it's not wise. So, um, (laughs) 
Zacharias explains to the angel, he says, I am old and my wife is advanced in years. That was, that's a very wise man. I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. Well, that was just a little small demonstration there of kindness tied to wisdom. So anyway, and I have cornered my wife and she has agreed to speak next week. So see, I told you, baby. They would like it. All right. Nothing but a jar of oil. That phrase comes out of Second Kings 4. We're going to look at uh, seven verses here in a minute. But um, let me give a little bit of an introduction. Second Kings 4 describes... Um, Really, it's about Elisha's ministry. Elisha was a prophet that was um, a protege of Elijah. And um, we find some of the things he did in his ministry here in 2 Kings 4. And actually, chapter 4 involves two different women. We're just going to look at the first one today and the effect he had on her life. Um, One was poor and the other was rich. But both had problems that only God could solve by divine intervention. And um, really, I think trouble is sort of a universal characteristic. Everybody understands what it is to have trouble. Well, rich, poor, in in many ways, we all really just need, um, need God's intervention. And so, as we look at this first woman, she was the wife of a prophet who had died and... The prophet had left the family in financial distress, and creditors were coming to enslave their two sons. That's um, something that was acceptable. Actually, they would be enslaved until the year of Jubilee. I don't know if you're familiar with that that concept, but every 50 years, um, anyone who lost property or were enslaved or indebted or indentured were released. All the property was restored. Everyone who was enslaved... um, set free, and one of the ideas behind that was so that there would no be there would there would not be any perpetual poverty in Israel. It's one of the concepts. The only problem was they never had a year of jubilee. Once they got you, they kept you. Once they had your property, they kept it. And if you read over in, in Isaiah sixty and sixty one, um, the acceptable year of the Lord uh, is actually that year of jubilee, and it's what Jesus came to inaugurate. If you understand the gospel and you understand it in the context of the Old Testament, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jubilee or of Jesus began a brand new era, which is a perpetual Jubilee where everyone is supposed to be free, everyone is supposed to be out of debt, everyone is supposed to have their houses and their lands restored and their legacies and all of that. That's just a little picture there. So they'd never celebrated it. The whole history of Israel, God instituted it. Israel never celebrated it. So these two boys and this woman had nothing to look forward to. So she goes to Elisha, and that's, that's what we'll do here. We'll take the story up. And why don't, why don't we read this together? I like doing that. You can tell if you've been here before. Why don't you stand up and let's do this. 
How many of you are here for the first time today? Wave at me. Hey, look at that. Cool. How many of you are here for the last time today? <laughs> Keep your hand down, squires. Oh, we did. oh, that's right. The Evitts are here for the last time. Wow. We're going to try to pray for them before we leave. But um, I'm probably going to forget unless somebody reminds me. That's why I'm saying that out loud. Everybody good with that? Okay. Now, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? And she said, Your maid servant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Everywhere. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, pour into all those vessels. And set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came, told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Okay. You may sit down. There's so much, so much in these uh, verses. I mentioned earlier, verse 1, we pretty much see that everyone has challenges. Rich, poor, everyone has challenges. Everyone needs the Lord. Andy was mentioning earlier today how um, sometimes you can feel so weak when you come to the Lord, when you come to worship, or when you begin to pray. And yet that's not a bad thing. I think not knowing how much we need the Lord really keeps us sometimes from connecting at the level we really could connect. Um, We may talk about that here in a minute, but it's the idea of an empty vessel. Sometimes we're so full of ourselves, our ideas, our own plans that God can't get in in a way that we can understand and and pay attention to him. So we see in verse 2, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Studying this, I've realized that that jar of oil is really not not a jar of oil. We saw a picture of it here. That's basically like a, a perfume bottle. It wasn't a jar of oil like you would use to cook. It was more like a flask of oil you would use um, perfume or to anoint yourself. It's one of the things they did in, in, in that ancient world for cleanliness or to sort of get spruced up a little bit. So it was not this huge pot that she had. And um, I've thought about that question, what shall I do for you, number one, and that question, number two, what do you have in the house? 
And one of the things that struck me today, and I think this could be helpful, is you really need to be clear with the Lord about what you want him to do. I can remember, um, I've been married 40 years. It's just, I have such a special wife, special kids, and I've had really just, well, it's been really good. But before I got married, I struggled to get married. And one day, uh, it was tragic, ladies and gentlemen. It was, <laughs> it was pretty ugly. Actually, people come to me who want to get married, and they ask me, how do you do it? And I'm thinking, man, I'm not the poster child. Go read a book, something. But Actually, Donna and I had gone out for a number of weeks and months, and uh, I kept getting conflicted about different things. So I kept breaking up with her. I think I broke up with her four times, five times. I think she lost count. Finally, she said, you do it again, that's it, and I did it again. And that was it. And so we went almost a year not speaking. And one day the Lord came to me and he, um, now when I say the Lord, how many of you have a relationship with the Lord where he doesn't speak audibly and you don't really see him, but you know you're communicating? Everybody understand what I'm talking about? Okay. So I'm going to put it in terms like he and I were just sitting there talking. But he basically said to me, um, do you want to get married? And I'm thinking, are you not paying attention? But I'm amazed at how it seems to really matter to the Lord that we don't presume or assume that he knows certain things about our lives, but that we literally engage with him, even maybe audibly. Go off somewhere where nobody can see you talking to yourself out loud and talk to God. And I, of course, said yes. And so then he said back to me, now this is the key. When he spoke back to me, it initiated a process that helped me identify what I really wanted. Because sometimes we don't really know. We can be covered over with... um, all kind of ideas and thought processes that aren't really the honest, real, bottom, foundational thing that's in our hearts. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? And so the Lord said to me, what kind of woman would you like to marry? And I said, well, I would like someone that would be suitable for the ministry. It would be very helpful if they were musical and could sing. And the Lord stopped talking to me. In a very, the atmosphere got very cold very quickly. How many of you? I got, I got the answer wrong. Now see, these are the kind of things when you, you begin to engage the Lord. And so he, after a few minutes or seconds, seemed like an eternity, I felt like he said, come on, Robin, what do you really want? And I said, oh, that, and I'm not going to elaborate on what that is, but it had nothing to do with playing the piano or going on foreign mission field. It was just the real stuff. And so I was very clear with him and he could take it. See, I'm not going to be very clear with you. Some of you couldn't take it, I'm sure. Anyway. 
that all comes from what do you want? Or as the prophet said, what shall I do for you? That's what the Lord's really saying. What do you want? And too often we're affected by what people think we should want or what we think we think we should want instead of what we really want, what we really have in our hearts. And that's where God meets us. He doesn't meet us in those other areas. You, you, you understand the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, that call upon him in truth. So he's very, it's very important that you're sincere, I mean really honest in telling the Lord what you're really, really thinking. I think one of the greatest things you can ever do is get really, not get mad, you're already mad. Uh, go on and express how mad you really are so you, that nervous breakdown will subside temporarily. And God can really talk to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He already knows. He picked you before you got mad. He picked you before you got born. He didn't really even pick you. He wanted one of you. So he knows all that stuff. And it's very important to be honest with him. So that's one thing the prophet is saying to her. What can I do for you? Well, she was pretty clear. I'm going broke. They're going to take my children. And it really meant death for this dear lady because she had no, she could have no support whatsoever. So the second thing he says is, what do you have? And one of the things that um, everyone in here needs to answer for your life to be successful, you need to answer, what do you have in your house? What do you have? And if you can't come up with anything, you're mistaken. What do you have? What's in your house? What can you do? What do you have on board? You can read in 1 John chapter 2, and it says in three different places that you have an anointing. Everyone has an, Every believer, everyone who knows Jesus, everyone that Jesus lives in has an anointing. The problem with the anointing concept is it's all been sort of um, zeroed in on um, preachers and ministry upfront stuff, but that's not true. Every believer has an anointing, and when you look at this um, little jar of oil that had not very much in it, it really does speak of the anointing. Actually, it comes from the word to anoint that jar of oil, that flask. Everyone in here is anointed that knows Jesus. And what that means is the anointing speaks of the capacity um, and the ability God has put into your life to do something that will help you overcome, help you prevail. Not, not just help you survive, because if you look at the story, this woman was asking for survival, but prophet wanted to give her overcoming. She was asking to pay off her debts. The prophet, by the word of the Lord, which represents the heart of God, had a plan and a process whereby she would not only pay off her debts, she would have enough to live on for the rest of her life. That's what you have on hand somewhere, somehow, at least at the potential level. Okay? It's important to realize that. What's your job? Your job is to discover it. But she could look at it and not see it. 
She called it nothing. This valuable thing God had put in her life, she could not see. What do you have in the house? Nothing but this little flask of oil. Nothing. See, I think a lot of people look at their lives that way. What do you have? Nothing. But you've got to, you've got to discover that thing you have, that gift you have, that concept you have, that skill you have, that concept, whatever it is. You have something of great value in your life, but as we look at this story, it can be very hard to recognize. But to say you have nothing is wrong. You have something. Maybe some of you need to say, as you look at your nothing, in faith, I have something of great value in my life. Sometimes agreeing with God opens the door to seeing what he sees. It's called faith. But see, you have something in your life you've called nothing, or maybe you know what it is, but your job is to develop it. So you have a flask of oil. You have something God wants to, um, wants to anoint. But your issue may be, and Zechariah talked about it this way, he said, despise not the day of small things. Everything big starts out small. Anything that gets too big too fast usually can't sustain itself or usually won't last. And so sometimes... You know, so what if I'm 66 and I publish my second book? That's good. That's good. Moses' ministry started at 80. He had two 40-year periods of failure. Yeah, his life changed when he saw a bush on fire. He could have walked right by that bush. See, we have to pay attention. But don't belittle your gift. Develop it. You, you need something the Lord can bless. You need to set your hand to something the Lord can bless. Opportunity usually follows preparation. Like I said earlier, no book gets published until after it's written. And see, that would go through my mind since I've never had a publisher that wanted, wanted to publish my weird stuff. It's not really weird. It's an allegory. It's like Uncle Remus on steroids with the Holy Ghost on it. You know, it's... um. A dumbed-down C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. I mean, I can't hang with those guys. They're way smarter than I am. But um, nevertheless, it's an allegory. It tells a story. It uses animals. It uses people. And you can say so much more with that. You don't have to argue over doctrine. If people get mad at what I wrote, I say, well, it's just a story about a moose. I'm not rewriting the Bible, for goodness sake. So, But no book gets published until after it's written. And I would, after I didn't get that one published the way I would like to have, I thought, well, what's the use of writing these books? Well, you've got to write them. That's not faith. You've got to take whatever your part is and do something with it. Now, verse 3, the, the, the prophet said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Now, the interesting thing, when I was studying that word vessel, I assumed it meant jar. But really, that word vessel can mean tool, instrument, music, harness of an oxen. It means a lot of different things. Basically, 
that word for flask or jar of oil means anything that can carry something. And see, that's another way of the Lord saying to you, you have something I have given you that you can carry that I'll anoint if you pick it up and if you do something with it. One of the um, issues we have is being negative or unbelieving. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Do not gather just a few. What happens is, in this case, the number of the pots, vessels in this case, pots, empty pots that they brought to the house represented the amount of the blessing of God they could receive. It's very very interesting. Um, God wants to give us more than we want to receive. We just don't have capacities yet. I think a lot of people go through difficult situations because um, I don't think God does them all to us, but I do know this, uh, even when he doesn't inspire them and we just get beat up or go through something, even the worst things that can happen to us can create in us a capacity that can hold more of what God wants to put in us. That, that means Romans 8.28 is always at work, no matter how bad your life may have gotten. Even in that, God has the capacity to pour into you Because even the difficulty created in you a capacity. As deeply as you've been wounded is as deeply as you can be blessed and encouraged and victorious. The the degree of your disastrous situation sometimes is only a mirror image of what God can do anyway. Awesome. I like that. So... Widow woman, go borrow as many vessels, make sure they're empty. Then he says, do not gather just a few. The prophet knew what was going on, but see, she had to believe him. You have to believe your preparation is worth it. I was just thinking about how how often we limit God. What does God want to do? You know, we tell ourselves so many crazy things. Well, timing. This hasn't happened because of timing. Or this hasn't happened because, because, because. What, what if it didn't happen because you just didn't go after it? What, what, um, we got this building. One of the reasons we got this building is when the 22nd um, property owner told me no, I told him you can't tell me no. I said, I'm not taking no for an answer. The real estate broker said, no, I'm not going to give you the number. I thought, I don't care what you give me. I'll go find the number. I'm not going to tell you the man's name. I don't care what his name is. I'll go find out the man's name. I'm done. We're getting a building. It's going to happen this week. I am not taking no for an answer. Now, I was having all that internalized. I wasn't talking that way to these people. I was going, oh, he did guys. But inside, I'm going, not going to happen. No. No, I got people. They need a place. It's my job, my calling. When terrible things would happen, get in the building, I would go, so what? Next. 
What you know? There's a you got you got to be out, you know point of no return. I'm in. If this thing doesn't work, I don't even hardly care. So all I got. Come on, you just got to go for it. Sometime I was thinking about the Hurchins little baby. The Hurchins little baby had this aversion to milk, and that just made me mad. I wasn't even going to say, God, please heal this baby. I said, no, this should not be going on. Stop. Not Eric, stop. Not Amanda, stop. Not even baby, stop. Whatever's causing it, stop. Every time I saw that baby, I'd say, no, we're not having... I didn't even ask permission. They love me. I love them. No, stop. And then they were going... They were in. They were... How's that little baby? Way better. We just put up with some stuff. Lord. Right? Poor me. Poor me doesn't work. Let me tell you what poor me gets you. Zero friends. Nobody wants to hang out with a sad sack loser. Come on. You either got to get victory, you got to fake it till you get victory. But uh, you need to be positive about your terrible life. I'm sorry. Anyway, you know what I mean. See, there's no one that can be offended in here unless you presume you have a terrible life. And if you do, it's not because I identified it. I'm just the guy up here talking. Now, we limit God. Say to with me, I shall not limit God. I like these kids over here. Give it up for these kids on the second... Yeah, Michael Coleman's their coach and won't let them play if they don't come to church. So that's called godly coercion. So probably not. That's probably not. They come for the donuts, right? Anyway. Okay. I was getting to have so much fun, I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, we limit God. Now, one of my um, sort of spiritual uh, influences was a man named Arthur Burt. And Arthur Burke started preaching almost a hundred years ago in England by horse-drawn wagon as an itinerant preacher in England. And he was in this area preaching, and he was didn't have much money. He had dry cereal for breakfast, but he didn't have any milk. And over the process of preaching in this one location, the um, there was a dairy farmer, and Arthur asked the dairy farmer, can I have milk? Um, do you mind if I get milk for my, my cereal? He said, no. Come over every morning, I'll give you fresh milk. Like, fresh milk. So Arthur went over there with a coffee cup. And the big old dairy farmer looked at Arthur, looked at the cup, and he said, bucket or Nothing. Bucket or nothing. What did he mean? He meant, I'm not messing around with cup. You want milk? Bring a bucket. I'll give you a bucket full. I think the Lord's saying that to us. Bucket or nothing. Don't come bringing your little idea that's not going to work. C- come get something big from me. Come, come bring some big idea, some big concept. Let me fill that up. I mean, if you can get a little bit from God, you can get a lot. So, anyway, now, go home, borrow vessels, call your neighbors, 
get empty pots, bring them in here. Verse 4. When you've come in, you should shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Shut the door behind you. I preached here probably three weeks ago about um, you need to shut the door on your past. You can't live your future. You can't let your past determine your future. You really can't. Somehow you've got to shut the door. And one of the definitions for that word shut means to surrender. Why don't you surrender your past to the Lord? Uh, one of the, one of the um, in, important questions you can ask someone to help them connect with their real destiny is you can say, what would you do if money was not an issue and you could not fail? Because if you ask someone, what do you want to do with your life? They filter it through all the things that are going to keep them from being as successful as they really want to be. See, they dumb down, they belittle what God's put in them through their experiences from the past. But, but there, there needs to be a place where we can shut that door. We, we not, need not define ourselves. How we behave, what God will do for us, all those areas. Verse 5, so when she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, she poured it out. So she took this little um, flask of anointing oil and she poured every one of those borrowed vessels completely full. And so it would be very interesting to see at what rate that oil would come out. I mean, if it's not much in there, but it never stops coming out, it'd be, it wouldn't be wonderful to see some little bottle fill like a 55-gallon drum. you just stand in there watching it. Well, some of the commentators said the sun's probably that she never stopped pouring she just kept it up, and then she went to the next one, and she filled that up, and she went to the next one, and she filled that up, and she went to the next one, and, and she filled that up. And the wonderful thing was the oil only stopped when there was nothing else to pour it in. See, she had somehow, through her distress, somehow through her pain, somehow had connected with the Lord in a way that he could open up the resources of heaven and do, do two things for her. Actually, yeah, at least two things. She paid her debts. Here's what he said. Go sell the oil. You need, you need to have something God anoints in your life that will pay you money. Look at somebody say money. Money. It needs to pay you money. Let's, you know, let's get our, that's crazy. Only God doesn't want to give you something that's of great value. And great value means a, a tangible value. Pay off your debts. Go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. 
And so God has so much that if you'll cooperate with him, if you'll identify what you have, if you'll use it, he can enable you to be successful, pay off all your debts in whatever area or realm you're in trouble over, and you can live off the rest. Say the rest. The rest. I believe what God wants to do with whole groups of people. He wants everyone's house paid for. He wants everyone's cars paid for. He wants everyone to be very generous and have enough to live off the rest so you can live off the rest. He wants you to live off the excess so that you can have a a peaceful, rest-filled life. I heard Bill Johnson say something the other day. People assume to work yourself into a lather and die from having poured it all out is some godly thing. But he said, even God rested one day a week. God. We need to rest. We need to have peaceable lives. We really do. We don't need to prove to everybody uh, how much we can sweat and strain and sacrifice. There needs to be a blessing in our lives, something that works in our lives that can be an over and beyond blessing. I believe that's God's purpose. I believe that's, that's his intent. So here comes Eric. Let's give it up for Eric Hurchin. Do you want to come up here? Um, one quick thing. We, uh, of course, we want to anyone who needs prayer for anything, we have uh, prayer teams and uh, ministry teams. So if you guys, ministry team, anyone who's on the ministry team, if you want to go ahead and come up, that would be great. Um, and then, you know, the, the joke that Robin made about uh, people, you know, last Sundays. Uh, we do have a last Sunday here, Jack and Liz. Uh, and what we would like to do is we would like to pray for them as they go and just bless them. And I don't know anybody that I would rather have praying for me than Stuart, Stuart Clark. Yeah. Hey, how many of you guys know Jack and Liz Evitz? Is it, it's Evitz, right? Well, why don't you guys come on up? And if you, if you're friends with Jack and Liz, um, join us up here. We've got the ministry team, might as well utilize them. So come on down here. Um, we just, these people, how long have y'all been in the States? 10 months, man. Um, they are, they really are hungry for the Lord. Like I don't, I remember, uh, like certain church functions, I would meet them and, uh, they're like, yeah, we, we go to UNC Charlotte. We don't actually have a car. So we took public transportation. It took us like three hours to get here. Um, and I, I've never met somebody that's that hungry to be a part of a church meeting like the here at Queen City. So that really spoke to me. So, um, they are headed back to the UK um, in like a month or so, but their time with us ends this week. So they've been a blessing to our church, and we just want to bless them. So, um, Father, we just thank you for Jack and Liz. God, we just bless them. We bless their marriage. We bless their lives. We thank you for bringing them to us to bless our church. And Holy Spirit, we just send them out in your power 
we send them with a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit. We just thank you for them and we send them forward. God, give them momentum into whatever they are called to do. God, we just bless them. And if any of you guys get anything, um, speak it out. I I feel like uh, I heard the word Mayflower for you guys. And I feel like it's going to be a whole new world uh, to discover when you guys get back home. Um, I feel like you're called to help people that are in desperate situations. Um, I saw a siren and uh, I'm, yeah, uh, I feel like there is a call uh, to worship on your lives. And I also feel like that you guys have become a conduit for God's power. Anybody else got anything here? Guys, I just see an evangelistical anointing on you. Um, God's going to use you to reach people, and you're going into the harvest field, and he wants you to know that. (coughs) Excuse me. There's also a pastoral anointing on you. And... um, but I see it with babes. Like you're gonna, God's gonna bring a lot of babes that need basic training, need basic input, and you're gonna have the milk. Yeah, guys. Um, I saw I saw the London Eye, and like when you're right at the top of it, and you can see like a fantastic view. Like I just feel like God's gonna be giving you guys like new views, and that you're gonna be bringing a whole new view to a country that has so many differing ones already, but your view is going to be just completely covered in the word of Jesus. And you guys are just going to be walking in that view and it's going to make people take notice. Yeah, I saw a pair of binoculars and things are in the distance. As you look at them, they become closer and you can focus in on it. And that's the vision that you'll have. I just saw your arrival in England like an axe. That you're, um, I just saw like you're cocked like an axe ready to strike. And that when you arrive, it's like the axe strikes. And it's, I, I just saw it chopping in good. I don't, I don't know exactly what you're chopping into, but I just saw that it's really hitting strong and hard and um, making a deep cut. I feel like the Lord's saying on that is, guys, you're, you're not going back to the way that things were, that God's cutting the roots off of something from the past. You're coming into something brand new. This is not a returning in the old. This is coming in the new, and it's coming with power, just like the book of Acts. There's going to be power for you guys. And just to, just to say this again, you're not going, you're not returning to the way that the things were. There's something about your past there that's been cut off, and there's something brand new, and you're coming into the power of new. I saw like a, a picture of an eye that was covered in like gold flakes, and uh, it's to me it just means that um, the vision uh, for your life back in the UK is totally new and really precious, and it's worth something uh, to to the UK. Uh, it's really got a lot of weight, a lot of value to it. Um, it's just anything that you uh, had vision for. It's just so much greater. It's so much more precious than uh, than you realize. 
I sense the sweet, sweet spirit of the Lord on you guys. And it's that sweet spirit that's going to draw people to you. So you can tell them all about the Lord. Awesome. Oh, man. Well, Lord Jesus, bless these guys. Bless Jack and Liz. Bless them with every good thing that they can be blessed with. And thank you for them. Give them safe travels back home. Amen and amen. All right, this is a good thing to do, right? This is what you guys should be doing during midweek in your own lives, right? Blessing people and speaking good things over them, right? Awesome. Go do it. See you next week. Bye.